My name is Alan Watt. I'm standing in for Charles Giuliani for the next couple of hours. Those who have heard me before uh, also know of my website, cuttingthroughthematrix.com, and the European site, which is alanwattsentinel.eu. I've been on the go for quite a few years trying to get up into a, a certain position so that I could find more people who are thinkers in this great age of change. Uh, this is a drastic time, really, a critical time in history that comes along every couple of thousand years while we come to the end of an age, and those who control the age have designed the next one to come without the consent of the people involved. And generations, hundreds and hundreds of generations, have lived and died, gone through wars, gone through famines and plagues over the centuries, never knowing that their lives and the lives of, of those around them were in a, essentially planned. They were controlled. Their thoughts were controlled in every age. No differently than today. Today, more high-tech, more information is available to control your mind. But if we go back into the Middle Ages, for instance, the average person only knew that which he was allowed to know, which was generally just the religion authorized by the kingdom. His whole worldview revolved around his, his education, his basic education. Most of them were illiterate up until the 17 and 1800s for the average person. And even later, for most people in Britain, most folk didn't get a real education until the beginning of the 1900s, and even then it was very basic for most. But in the Middle Ages, the only education they got was from, from the, the church and Sundays. And the plays, the traveling plays, the morality plays, they were called biblical plays. Therefore, everything, every thought that they had, the worldview, came from the Bible and biblical stories. The elite themselves, of course, went to universities, and they often, even the lazy ones, would send special, special gifted ones to go to university for them, and they became advisors. These advisors always were around the court, they lived at the court, and they told the king what was coming up, how the pulse of the populace was at that time, if there was any problems amongst the people, any possible uprisings or dissent or dissatisfaction because taxes in all ages in Europe tended to be very, very, very heavy, very high. That way they could always thwart any attempt of an uprising. And most uprisings were spontaneous. People don't like to fight. They don't like to go against authority, especially when they're trained in doublethink or well in doublethink. We're trained, and they all, we always have been trained that, on the one hand, the authority is somehow very good, even special, superior to our own type of personal authority. And on the other hand, when that authority oversteps its boundaries and becomes tyrannical and takes too much from the people, they tend to revolt in a spontaneous way, with no real forethought, no planning and therefore, they're, they're defeated. Then the historians come in for the king, 
and they write a romanticized version of history. This has gone on down through the ages and still goes on today. Authorized authors, that's why they're authorized and called authors, uh, will write history and really throw up perfume in there where there should be something else. I'll be back in, in a moment after these messages. It's not made by the collective. 
Now, those who controlled the system foresaw this, and they saw problems arising, problems to do with holding on to their authority. And therefore, they devised what we now call today big think tanks, think tanks which take all the data, all the relevant data off the times and project not just where they were going, where they planned to go, and what the reactions would be as individuals got together and formed groups. And that's typical of what happens. Most folk can't handle individuality, so they form groups. And they want like-minded people. Therefore, they come out of a collective, have a short period of individualism, decide what they want, and then they want really to go back to the collective, but a new collective, a dominant collective. Therefore, you have all these competing groups vying for power. In the 1800s and 1900, early 1900s, big agencies from the, starting with the British Royal Crown, decided to pool many of these groups together, the groups who really wanted power and, and a different uh, way of living, a financial reward big time, and because all groups tend ultimately to become elitist, as do, in fact, all religions. They pull them all together and put their headmen in to control them. Because it's much easier to have a group start itself, sit back, and once it's fully formed with a few million members, you put your own man in charge, and then you control a few million members. Quite simple, isn't it? And this goes on today. We've watched in the 20th and 20, 21st century, the same movements, big movements, mass movements, demonstrations, and so on, which call themselves non-governmental organizations, suddenly get in bed with the big controllers. They all want the same things. Isn't that strange? They all want a global government. They all want a, a new system where the individual does not count anymore. All the decisions will be made by experts at the top, they want a system where everyone will serve the world state. But of course, those top people see themselves as being above the average servant. They don't see themselves filling the land. They see themselves in advisory capacities. And that's what this has been brought to. Very cleverly, Machiavellian uh, way, there's nothing new in these techniques. It's simply the understanding of human nature has been employed to the maximum to bring us to the step we're coming into. We are programmed from birth to view the world in a certain way. We're programmed to believe that every single thing that just happens to spontaneously come out in our lifetime is just part of a quirk, uh, an evolutionary process. And you, get, you go from the transistor to the solid state circuitry to nanotechnology as a natural progression never dreaming they had all of that a long, long time ago when they were still giving you tubes and old-fashioned radio sets. High sciences are kept from the public, and the trick is to condition you to believe that, yeah, you are part of the great experiment. You're living through it, and you're living through sudden discoveries. And all these sudden discoveries just happen to go linear-wise to an end, which is to be you being brain-chipped down the road. Not only brain-chipped, but actually wanting to be so. Because after all, the responsibility of having all these cars to carry around with you and all these things to remember and having bills come in 
It's just too much of a nuisance. You don't have enough time to play. So once it's all done automatically for you, when you can call someone for a little while, and it will be just for a little while, by thinking about them by cell phone in your head, then how convenient that will be. We will sell our souls for convenience, willingly, at least most will. And the next step will be the brain chip. It will seem so logical to them, they will go for it. Now, I'm not imagining this. I'm not drawing rabbits out of a hat here. I'm talking about published information from top sources. It's all over the place. It's in magazines. It's in different uh, well-known talk shows and TV and so on, the science shows. That's the agenda. They were using prisoners in Sweden back in the 70s and interfacing them, these voluntary prisoners, of course, interfacing them with computers. Uh, this is old stuff. Children are being exposed to cartoons and have been for years now, to want to, and which make them want to be like their superheroes, superpowers, and have chips in their heads so they can communicate with each other at will. And if that were a real world, you see, we're looking at, if it's a real world that truly was just, then it wouldn't seem so bad being coupled with these sciences used for our own benefits. But you see, it's never been a world where we exist for our own benefit. It's been a world run by a dominant minority as far back and even before the days of Plato, who wrote about it in his time. They called them the guardians. Today they're called the dominant minority. They plan to get us to want all these things, but what they're not telling you is once everyone's got the chip, then the real purpose kicks in and you become the Borg. The Borg from the Star Trek series. The, the, the gene of the red berry, you know, Gene Roddenberry, was a member of NASA. He was a member of the Futurist Society. All sci-fi writers, the big ones, who are promoted to be stars, are given stories, or at least basic lines to write stories around. It's called predictive programming. And the trick is to make it very exciting and make the children or the young people want what's ever in the story. And therefore, when it happens to come along in your lifetime, the actual events happen and the real things come along in science, you think it's a natural progression. This was written about a hundred years ago by various members of the Tavistock Institute. How to put into a person's mind the wanting, the desirability of things to come, things that were already planned to come. It's the ability to change perceptions without using critical thinking in the process. Because critical thinking is drummed out of us as school as part of what schooling is all about. They don't want reasoning. Because if you sit back and reason too much, you'll see through the whole scam, and you'll see how we're trained step by step, like laboratory rats, to this final destination they have all planned for us. The utopia for the elite is to be a planned society. A society where no one will be born unless they can serve the world system, and if there's a place for them to serve in, they want it based on economics and efficiency. No useless eaters, no unfit. If you want to know where the whole eugenics program comes from, 
go back again into the nobilities, especially of the Middle Ages in Europe, where they talked openly about their good breeding versus the bad. I'll be back in a few moments after this break. Incredible interbreeding. 
And their whole idea was to keep certain intellectual type and, and ability uh, genes to be passed on, even if you only had one or two surviving offspring and the rest died. This is, again, an, an ancient thing to do with husbandry. It's based on animal husbandry. You can breed traits in or out by selective breeding. Plato again talks about this, and that's why he said the guardian class in his era were still in charge with certain peculiar abilities, and the rest of the public did not have them. Well, Charles Galton Darwin, descendant of Charles, wrote The Next Million Years, and he spoke on behalf of the elites of the mid-1950s in his book, The Next Million Years, and he said, he said, we the elite must steer planet Earth. We are the, 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 the navigators of the ship. So we must not destroy our own abilities for self-preservation. But then he goes into the need to literally lobotomize the general public. Lobotomize them by chemical means and, and bacterial means, by using chemistry and science to direct certain certain viruses or bacterium right to parts of the brain, which they could do back then, and destroy those parts which are, make you a particular individual and keep your survival capabilities intact. He said, and others said, like in his own class, he said, they won't need them because, because the elite, the state, will be making all their decisions for them. They wanted to destroy all of possibility of people eventually rising up and overthrowing this tyrannical dominant elite that had run Europe, most of Europe anyway, for, for a thousand years or more. And they were very blatant about this. But not only blatant, these people were powerful, powerful people in very old aristocratic families. And when they write these books, they're not making a wish list. They're, they're writing their agenda because they do have the power and the wealth and the money and the connections to make all these wishes come to pass. When we follow the, the various effects in autism that follow the mumps, rubella, and measles vaccine, generally within two weeks of receiving the vaccine and the high fever that every child gets and every mother is told is normal, you'll find it's not just autism in its full-blown aspect that you're seeing. The recent new terms they use for attention deficit disorder and a whole variety of disorders are simply variations of the same problem from the same cause. It's been happening, folks. Back in a few moments. Charles Giuliani, 
going through just some of the hard facts we have to face if we're going to break free of all the illusions and come out of the matrix, because unless we do, it's game over. People live in the Orwellian double think today, more so than ever before. They hear the bad news, they see the symptoms in the newspapers and through the media, they hear them. And yet, look outside and the sun is maybe still shining. Therefore, they can't comprehend, they don't, they're in a click mode stuck between two ideas, two opposing ideas. And then they live in hope too, hope that just something will make all the bad parts in life, all the nasty things, the really nasty things happen after they're dead and then they won't have to put up with it. That's for the next generation's problem to cope with. And that's what's happened down through the last 150 years or so. Every generation has seen this coming on and gradually pass it on to the next generation. It's your baby. Tough luck. I'm retiring or dying. I'll be gone, but you will take the brunt of it. Well, you can't pass this buck any further because this is the last sentient generation who can do anything about it. Uh, the chipping program is going along fast. The ID chip that's in your ID card that's to be issued is an active chip that will follow you. You'll be followed wherever you go by, by the same technology that follows uh, cell phones all through cities and in the country and so on. And that itself is obsolete because it's just training you to the next step, which is the brain chip itself. It's a step-by-step, -step, simple animal training program that they've used in laboratories over and over for hundreds of years. Same techniques. Once you accept one thing, it's easy to accept the next step. Very easy, especially when it's promoted from the top and from the top shows, television shows and so on, and the famous people on stage. This is coming down the pike. As I say, once it really is taken off, then the real function one day will kick in because it's been discussed at scientific meetings, world science meetings held in the U.S. and in other countries. But in the U.S., if you look into the, the, um, uh, the um, Louisiana University, uh, Loyola University, you'll find three meetings, I think, have been held there so far on brain chipping and the necessity to do so, the fact that it's all ready to go, and the, the speeches given about how it would be promoted to the public, mainly through fiction and cartoons and novels, to make it very exciting, and how regional computers are already set up to handle billions of people. What they mean by that is to program millions and billions of people into doing new tasks. You could do a new task every day, simply by your programming. That's all ready to go. We're living in what you thought was science fiction. It's all here, just slightly hidden from you. And we're dealing again with people who worked for hundreds and hundreds of years intergenerationally, a hard concept for the average individual to understand. Most men have very short-term planning in their lives. Women are better for long-term planning. But men want something done quickly and fast so that he can sit back and appreciate it and build it. It's hard for us to realize that people can plan for generations in the future. 
yet going back into the old secret societies that pre-existed the Rosicrucians, you'll see even in the stonemasons, it would take five, six, or seven generations of stonemasons to complete a cathedral. Most people wouldn't want to work at something which they wouldn't see completed in their lifetime, but that was tradition back then. But it also meant that there were generations of superiors and architects and priests and bishops and archbishops all in charge of these projects, never stopping the same project. You'd think in times of famine and war they would divert money elsewhere, but they didn't. They made sure those projects went on unabated through all types of crises. And that's still going on today. Same thing. It's amazing where they they have so little money for the public uh, to, to use on social programs. But when a war comes up, my goodness, there's uncountless billions of dollars just appear and are thrown all over the place to all their friends at the top. The biggest business today is this homeland security business with high-tech equipment and think tanks and and anyone can start up in a, a little think tank and claim money for it, and they'll give you grants for it, if you're connected, that is, to the right people. It was the same before World War II. There was a depression had started in the 1920s and went on in the U.S. and Canada and the rest of Europe, right up until World War II started. And suddenly, suddenly, they had all this money all this tremendous amounts of money for aircraft and bombers and artillery and uh, all the, the other things they need for war. The reason being that money is a con in the first place. The man who says there's X amount of bucks in the bank and makes it so, makes it so. Simple as that. It's a magic act. There is no security in this world except the security within your own mind. And technically no product is going to do anything for you. It's your mind that must believe in it first. And you must believe in yourself first. Something we're taught in this system not to do. We're taught not to even trust our own instincts. If we did, my goodness, what kind of world would it be if you trusted your own instincts and didn't go the way of the herd? Because out there in the big world, most people do belong to the herd and they judge their values for themselves according to the values that others have. If they all have the same values, then they're one big happy herd. If you have some different values, they will turn on you and destroy you. This world has been an ongoing process, as I say, for individualism for thousands of years. And history, in its major steps it has taken, even when it has managed to thwart the ideas and plans of this psychopathic elite was always done by a few people and occasionally an individual here and there that just happened to put so much out to divert uh, the plan that the rest of the public benefited as a side effect you might say and the same thing if it happens again will be the same way because as you know the vast amount of the general public are what the United Nations has declared them to be they're good citizens of the world. They're good producers dash consumers. That is the official definition of a good citizen. 
well, who would have thought you were born into the world to be a good producer dash consumer? If you think that is the goal of life, then you're completely materialistic. And if you're materialistic, you must use the same rationalization that the elite use on you. Because one day you'll, you'll agree you probably are a useless eater if you believe in, in the economics that they tell you. It's the same with the population problem that's been blown way out of perspective by lies, damn lies, and statistics, as Theo Roosevelt said. It's hard to argue about statistics because they're not called lies, they're called statistics, a scientific term. Simple terminology change that alters perception. If you follow the Western countries, all of the Western countries, population, growth, or decline, you'll find from the early 1900s as the standards of living gradually changed and grew, the population dropped like a stone. Margaret Thatcher in the 1980s, early 80s, uh, opened the floodgates to immigration into Britain. Now, up until that time, all the propaganda had told the British there were just too many of them. And yet, counter-publications were coming out all the time showing that the, that the population was declining all the time. Margaret Thatcher opened the floodgates to immigration, and she declared the reason for it was the British people were not producing enough children to pay off the national debt. And that was the same in every other country in Europe. The only reason immigration or the population is increasing in the Western world is because of authorized, vast immigration policies. And it's been like that for a long, long time. Once again, alter the perception and the reality very simply by withholding parts of the story or parts of the truth. You cannot give a person a complete picture unless you give them all the data. Take a little bit of data away and you have a false perception. Very simple. Francis Bacon talked about that in some of the little treatises he wrote for the king. How to govern the people and how it was best that the public never really knew what the real reasons of policies were all about. Nothing has changed. Colonel Mandel House, who was the boss of the White House when President Wilson thought he was the president, said the same thing. He said, for everything that happens in the world and in policy and in government, there's always a very good reason. And then there's the real reason. We're run by trickery. Trickery which only those who are streetwise at the bottom understand. They understand it intuitively. Joe Average has been conditioned through his culture and indoctrination as a hard time seeing through the cons. We want to believe the people who speak to us. We want to believe we're being well taken care of. But we're also frightened and so we cling to the system we're given all the more even though it, that system is becoming tyrannical. We know that 9-11 was a must-be, as they say in the high occult. A must-be. For the, for the communists, they would call it a, an historical necessity. When Stalin said that uh, millions of the Ukrainians must die by taking their food from them, 
defeat Moscow. He called that historical necessity. The need to kill off the excess of the useless ones, defeat the ones who had a better purpose, a more efficient purpose. Today is called a must-be in the high occultic circles. Arthur C. Clarke talked about kicking off the New World Order in his novel, 2001, which although set in space had nothing really to do with space, it was simply a high Masonic initiation as one member of a group overcame the sun or how, overcame the deity, the god, the demiurgos, the lower god of the, of the realm. There's a whole lot of information I could give about this, but generally I just teach it to a few because there's a lot of teaching involved and to break down the perceptions that everyone has through indoctrination in their personal life, you must get past all the barriers they have individually to show them what's really going on. So we're fooled by the alterations of perception. Going back to the days of Zoroaster, people used to cook on fires. They'd light fires for light at night. They'd have lamps and so on. And in the days of Zoroaster, everything changed because suddenly fire was part of the deity and it was holy and not only holy you need, you need a priest to light it for you for a small fee until one generation had passed and the second generation thought it was normal and even the sun wouldn't come up in the morning unless the priests prayed for it the same con game had happened with the Aztecs in Latin America very easy to alter reality by distorting and altering perception. The same events go on as always, except now suddenly you pay for them because they're magical, you see. And you, being a silly little person at the bottom, you don't possess the magic. Special people have the magic. Just like special people run your world for you. You vote them in. How do you know they're special? The media tells you so. When you look at their, their backgrounds, most of them are simply lawyers. And Professor Carl Quigley and others who are involved working for the elite, Quigley himself being the historian for the Council on Foreign Relations, the official in-house historian, in his own book, Tragedy and Hope, said that for 50 or 60 years, and this is in the 1960s he wrote the book, there had been a parallel government running America. Now, he, he should also have said Britain and other countries too, because the CFR, the Council on Foreign Relations, is only the American part of the Royal Institute for International Affairs. Every British Commonwealth country has its own international affairs department. And it's not a governmental department. It sounds very official, but it's actually a non-governmental organization, which is, oddly enough, chartered to exist by the, the, the royalty of England. So it has permission to work on the behalf of the high aristocracy. Most big reporters in the world on media, television, radio, and in the newspapers are members of it. And they have branches all across the world. That is also coupled, this organization, with the Rhodes Scholarship Foundation and 
the Round Table Society that came out of Lord Albert Milner. Albert Milner really was the big pusher and shaker for this globalist society on behalf of the aristocracy of Europe, especially England. We've never had what we thought was a democracy of any kind, a democracy where we say we've never had a say, in fact, in any of the major changes that's happened in the world on any policy whatsoever. The whole idea that the, the con was about was that you, your little tribe or village or town, would send a representative off with your concerns to this big parliament meeting, and they would discuss your particular problems and come back with hopefully with solutions. So as soon as they invented the idea of democracy, they also invented the two-party system. So now your representative doesn't belong to you or speak for you anymore. No, the party comes first. So you have no say in your own particular immediate environment. I'll be back after these messages. that day 
it's almost a flight from thinking, in fact, they're going through. They have a fear of thinking because if they start thinking for themselves, it's a whole un, unknown territory. You see, thinking for yourself is a revolutionary idea in these times. And thinking for yourself is also a dangerous idea because they want to test everyone from the top down and give you psychology tests to find out if you come under the category, the new category, mind you, of normality. You might harbor terrorist tendencies without knowing it. Just like Winston found out in 1984 when his neighbor got caught. And his neighbor told him, he said, don't come near me, Winston, I'm a thought criminal. He said, I didn't know myself, it was my daughter who found out. Well, thank goodness we have these white-coated scientists, these priests, to find out for us if we have aberrant thoughts. You know, it's quite amazing how the public will go along with all of this because they have had nothing but Dr. Phil's and, and Donahue's and specialists and, and all these professional wizards flashed in front of them for generations until they can't really think for themselves or reason for themselves. They're wide open for complete manipulation now. There's, I think there's another break coming up. I hear something. I'll be back in a few minutes. we have to face up to uh, talking about how it really is as opposed to how we'd like it to be and how the media pretends it is we're watching the build up of all governments across the whole planet in cahoots with each other which tells you the amount of interactions they've had with each other to plan all of this for a long long time because bureaucracies do not move swiftly. Yet here they are, on cue, all going into action at the same time worldwide with the exact same agenda. An agenda that has nothing to do, really, with the Middle East. And Professor Carl Quigley said himself, the purpose of war, from the elite's point of view, is to change society, because bureaucracies and governments flourish as they take over all the rights of the citizenry. That's the purpose of war, apart from all the loot, the game. And we're watching a world system come into view, a world that they talked about where it will be run on a, on a very efficient economic basis, 
where individuality amongst the people will be eradicated. And then they'll feel very safe at the top. A world where you can't pick your own partner. A world where there'll be no inefficient human organisms grown. In other words, if you have the possibility, not the, the definite conclusion, but a possibility of having a hereditary disease or even asthma or an allergy, you will simply be eradicated from the gene pool because they don't want inefficiency. We're dealing with the true eugenicists at the top, the real Nazis behind the Nazis. And there were real Nazis behind them because the old secret society that ran England was still running the other side of, of Germany. You'll find the big names of the Rockefellers, the, the Baxter Laboratories that gave you good inoculations, and, and all the big GM and Ford and, and, and big foundations all funded a new company, an umbrella company, a shell company called IG Farben, and brought Hitler and his war machine into being. This all came up at the Nuremberg trials when the IG Farben group, based in New York, sent hundreds of lawyers over there to make sure and pay off all the lawyers who were doing inquiries into not asking about IG Farben. It's all published. Look at the book called The Crimes and Punishment of IG Farben. And it's the biggest names, the biggest international corporations that still run your lives today. The same corporations that are now in all complete cahoots with each other to bring about this universal ID card and brain chipping. And they're completely interconnected with the CIA, MI6, Mossad, and so on, because you see the top branches of those organizations were integrated during World War II. They're not separate at all. Therefore, it's not just the British bunch. It's not just the CIA bunch. It's not just the bunch in Israel. You see, they're all in it together. As good crooks should be. That's how the mafia always operated. After they fight each other, they have a big big meeting and they, they divvy up different parts of the territory. And they have a form of peace between them. It's much easier that way. It's better profits. And that is the global system we live in today. The whole communist era, the Cold War, was a, a con from the beginning. And we're back after these messages to explain that to you.
Alan Watts back again, standing in for Charles Giuliani, giving you some of the history behind what's been happening, showing you how we're manipulated into false perceptions in the world. And um, you'll find with the Cold War, for instance, it was the most efficient way found by the big think tanks based in London to create an enemy that would appear to be their complete opposite to get all the public behind this new movement called communism to get them to fight for it and work hard for it for nothing often for an ideal but really its purpose was to unite whole areas of Europe different countries in Europe with different languages and different systems and customs and cultures to bring them all together under a centralized system. And then, about 70 to 80 years afterwards, as Lenin said, it would alter and change and merge with the other system. And as Gorbachev admitted, it would become not quite communistic and not quite capitalistic. He's talking about a socialist system to run the masses on behalf of the fascist elite. That was the purpose of communism. They did the same thing with China. The communists in China, long before the big players that you're used to hearing or reading about in the newspapers or history books, were actually British. And Lord Bertrand Russell was sent there in the 1920s to teach in universities to start to put in the seeds of communism. Far-ranging plans, plans which wouldn't be fulfilled till his life was over, as always, these big builders plan way in advance and use many generations to complete it, the agenda. You'll find even when Lincoln, after the, the Civil War was over, this terrible, terrible war which they used to manipulate young men, as always, through using emotive topics, using all the usual tricks of of the military, the bands, the uniforms, the big speeches. Karl Marx wrote to Lincoln. Actually, he did it by telegraph, and it's in the congressional records. Congratulating Lincoln for keeping the country together and solidifying and strengthening the power and centralizing the power of the state. Now, that was one of the tenets of communism, you see, was to centralization of power and laws into one big system, over one big system. Centralization was very important, and that was one of the emissions of communism. Communism also helped to eradicate all of the old ways of living, the rural ways of living again, because the far, far-ranging plan as they merged the communism and capitalism together, was to eventually reduce the populations and bring in the habitat areas, what they're now calling habitat areas of the United Nations for Agenda 21, has had different names in the last century and the century previously. They talked about efficient centers of civilization. They even talked about building big domes over those cities. And I've seen them. I've seen the plans for them by some of the architects. Yeah, these domes will have much, a much smaller population within. I've seen the one for Toronto that was drawn up by Galen Weston 
who is also a lord over in Britain and in Canada and an architect and owns so many businesses you can't keep account of them. Prince Charles is on his polo team. I even asked him, I said, that's a small Toronto. He says, yeah, it will be much smaller then. Everything that we're hearing today as being new was planned long ago. A hard thing to face, isn't it, that even your fashions, even the songs that you might whistle, if anybody still whistles, you don't find many people today that whistle, do you? They might sing the chorus of a song, but you don't hear that happy whistling that you used to hear, perhaps because people aren't happy anymore, who knows? But yeah, the fashions that you go through, the fads that you go through, even the major television series that fascinate you are all put out there to program you to leave you really with no real thoughts of your own if you were your own navigator you would be watching the television at all you'd be thinking for yourself and analyzing everything for yourself however why bother when it's so easy to sit back and let the professionals do it all for you download it right into your brain for you. Now, if the governments mandated back in the 1950s that everyone had to have a free television, we'd be very suspicious. But it was much easier to make us want the television set. Then we had no suspicions at all. Same with the computer. Because really, they should have given us up this all for free. We should have free televisions, free computers, because they're all there to indoctrinate us and to pass our time, to steer our thinking, to guide our thinking into particular avenues of thought. And all that becomes perception. And your perception becomes your reality. So much so that you'll probably fight people to keep it, thinking it's yours, it's your perceptions, it's your reality. Very few people in this world today are actually true thinking sentient beings. They are composites of all their indoctrinations. They also have little bits of their own family dysfunctions because of the way they've grown up. You can't find functional families today, really, because the family has been under attack for over a hundred years. Scientific attack, where men are emasculated through comedy shows, because after all, the men are so silly and stupid and childish and the women are so practical and mature and so are the children by the way the new children and the children see that on the comedy shows and and they have no respect for their fathers that they have no respect whatsoever a great movie to watch is called American Beauty because Hollywood does love to put it in your face and show you how it really is American Beauty shows you the average family today where the guy has no respect from the wife no respect from his daughter because the daughter has no respect for him putting up with all the nagging from the wife that's the average family you can't find couples today very few couples who are mature enough to live with each other and get older because television bombards you with a youth culture it's ridiculous for people in their 40s and 50s to sit and watch all the heroes who are around 20 and 25. 
But that's what they give you because they want to eradicate anyone who's older and wiser from the system. You're irrelevant. Your opinions are outdated. That's why you get this youth culture promoted on television. Yet, when you look at television and music, and I've been in the music business at the top, and I've seen the panels even in the BBC studios meet to decide what they were going to make be number one, two, three, four, five, right down the row in the coming months. Whereas the public were told that number one would be the best seller because people were buying it. The opposite was true. You make people to be stars. You promote them from the top. In other words, it's like the money. Someone at the top says it is so, and lo and behold, it is so. Same with, with all the culture creation industries. Old people, old people in tweed suits, male and female, sat and discussed and decided who they'd make number one and so on. Why was that? It was because they were promoting particular types of music, authorized types of music, to help further condition society to the next step. They knew they'd eventually give you rap when they wrapped it up, because that was the end, you see. That was the bottom. And what, is it, what did they do in the courts, and what did they do in the Masonic courts? When they begin their meetings and end their meetings, they wrap the gavel on the square. You wrap it up. In the old days, it was the pop, because pop is the father. Then they gave you rock, because rock is the block, the ashlar for masonry. Then they go, it comes, what is drawn out of the stone? It's the sword. You have metal and heavy metal. It's all high occultic stuff. And you thought it was just by chance, because you question nothing, you see. You were surprised how many of the big players actually write their own material. You might be even more surprised to find how many can't even play very well. They can mime good on stage. It's show business, like everything else. It's show business. There's nothing on television, just like the movie Network. Excellent movie to watch, which shows you a reality that you don't want to see. It's the same in, in all of the culture creation industry. It's tinsel tongue. It's drama. Even the scandals you read about in all the magazines about the stars, whether it's in Hollywood or it's in music, it's just great publicity and gossip for you to consume. Written by professionals. Back in a minute, after these messages.
night, folks. Alan Watt, back again, filling in for Charles Giuliani. Be sure to visit my website, cuttingthroughthematrix.com, and the European site, which is sentientsentinel.eu. You'll find hundreds of talks on all these topics, some going into greater depth, and you can download them for free. You can also get transcripts as well from the site. I'm trying to show people that most of those things which you think is real is basically a false presentation to fool you into false perceptions so that you go through life never really participating in the direction of life itself, never really participating in an original thought, an original process of doing, which will originally change the system in a different path. That's why you have authorized groups to join. And for every personality type out there, they've made sure it's a group for you, if you should want to join them. We've been trained that the lone gunman rides into town and cleans up all the bad guys. And that happens in Hollywood, of course, on the big screen. It doesn't happen anywhere else. You are your own champion. You have to find other champions for sure and teach them. But ultimately, you go by your own conscience and your own reasoning. And you have to educate yourself as much as possible if you're truly willing not to go down in the system and let it fall down the way it's supposed to fall down, the way it's been made to fall down. Otherwise, man will go out with a, a whimper, not with a bang. And for most, that might be so, but not for all. Before I was mentioning the Cold War and how they terrified the public, terrified the public for many years, generation. The whole generation was terrified into instant annihilation. And the big media made sure we saw these big mushroom clouds all the time on television. And they terrified us and we shook. And when you do that, you see, you feel helpless and insignificant and so small that you feel left out of the picture. You have no strength. And that was intentional. Because they were, they were terrifying the people of the whole world into the same agenda. It was never intended that the bombs were ever, ever fired. Some people at the, near the top of MI5 and MI6 wrote about this because they began to suspect that each time they came close to catching top spies or double agents within the UK, someone at the very, very top tipped them off so they couldn't catch them. In the 1960s, there was a scandal about one after the other that worked for MI5 and 6. And yet, Peter Wright, who worked for them, published a book called Spycatcher. And it gives you so many clues in there that you'd have to be completely brain dead not to trip over them. He tells you that only a couple of people above those he mentions had access to the next move of MI5 and 6 and who they were going to catch. And one of them was the British royalty. They're the only ones who got access outside one other person. They tipped off these double agents. It was never intended, you see. There was a third party above communism running capitalism side and communism side. 
That was to make sure that nothing happened, really happened. You needed a third party atop of the pyramid, you see. That ensured there would be no nuclear annihilation. The whole idea was to terrify the populace of the planet. And it worked very, very well as they trained generations to hide under their school desks and quiver and tell them that it was to save them from flying glass. Meanwhile, as they do that, they were showing you whole artificial towns they'd built getting blasted flat from the earth and disappearing in the nuclear blasts that they were testing down in Nevada. Use your double think again. You'll be safe, but you'll be killed. You'll be safe, but you'll be killed. You're in double think, you see. Psychological process of Pavlovian training until you just sit there and quiver. General Patton wasn't in on the big, big plan at the end of World War II. He was an eccentric fellow. I'd have probably got on with him very well. But he, when he met the Russians, wanted to, to take on the Russians. He says, this is the real enemy. It's apparently, this is the ones who are going to destroy our system. They're vowed to destroy our system. And that was true in all the public uh, published uh, booklets and so on that the communists put out. They didn't hide their agenda. So why would you save communism? And Patton thought it was time to take them on. He says, it'll have to happen sometime. So Patton was killed in an accident very quickly. But he wasn't in on the no. And that's what happens to those who don't understand the whole agenda. I'll be back after these messages. through some of the little hard-to-take, at times, facts of recent history. It's not easy when you wake up into this world and realize that pretty well everything you've been told is an utter lie. It's even worse to find out many of those things which you particularly like in the culture was given to you, especially for the young, given to you by very old people very smart, trained old people. It's also interesting to watch the wars we have, how they pull out the, the bands and the, the uniforms and the, all the emblems of the tribe, whatever tribe they, or super tribe, in fact, is what they called the Americas in the 60s. Whatever tribe you now belong to, they pull out all the familiar emblems and get you marching off to something you have no idea is all about. But you're taught to be proud about doing it. And the, the parents are taught to be proud about you going off in the uniform, even though they generally have no idea either of the big picture. 
And what's even more strange, they don't really want to know the big picture. You're just doing your duty for something big above you that you somehow belong to because you're born there. An odd phenomenon, but it's tribal in nature. And they know, they've known for thousands of years how to manipulate the young to go off and fight and kill and uh, lose limbs, etc. and uh, get catch diseases and be killed never knowing really what they're all fighting for. In the old days, they used to allow the mercenaries to, to take some of the booty, the loot, from their fallen enemies. But that's kind of taboo today. They do still steal a bit here and there, as some of them you'll meet will tell you. But not, not, nothing nearly as much as they used to. When they used to fill sacks of, uh, of the treasures that they collect along the way, that was their reward. Today it's better, it's psychologically controlled, you're trained that it's your duty, you're meant to feel proud, you come from the lower ranks of society generally, that's where armies come from, and suddenly you have respect from everyone by simply changing your clothes. Isn't that amazing? A change of clothes gives you respect. It's quite interesting to study the psychology of human beings and see how easy it is for those who are in advanced psychology to use all basic instincts against you for their own benefit at the top. Very simple. It's even worse now that they have women in the military because at least at one time, women soft balanced out men or digression within men. You needed the other counterpart, the balance, to bring you down to earth at times and show you other things in the world apart from domination and dominating or killing or stealing or plundering. You need the other balance to bring you down. But when the women become like the men, we're really in trouble, really in trouble because all compassion goes out the window. That's where we are today. That we're in a world that's becoming more like robots and will become more like robots as they give us android parts and interfaces into their new system. A hellish world. And I often wonder when I look at insects and ants and all the scurrying insects around outside, why is it the man who has the ability to think beyond all of these things? We're not just creatures of instinct. We have the ability to decide on things, something that other creatures don't have. And yet, we seem to be trying to emulate the ants and the insects. We want to be born without the ability to think, be programmed for our tasks from birth. So we've come all this way to emulate an insect, and the public think it's going to be a great thing. There's a really good magic act by the Wizard of Oz. The burden of individuality, it is true, is too much for a lot of people. Not all, but a lot of people. They can't handle the responsibility of decision-making for themselves. They don't want to. And that's why Bill Cooper talked about this years ago when he had his program on the radio. When he said that many people will love Socialism, and he was referring to this new scientific socialism 
where the experts will guide your whole life for you. That is true. People, a lot of people will love socialism. They're already quite content not knowing of all those agencies above them. They know they're there, but they don't know what they're really for. They want to believe it's to help them if they ever need help. Because this way they have more time to play undisturbed and to devour their downloading from television and games and so on. The problem really in this world is for the sentient thinkers. There's too few of them, really. They're shunned by society. They have a hard time communicating to those that just want to play and buy and consume. Even though the end is coming near of all this buying and consuming. The elite have told us this. They've planned it that way. I tell people like that to try and find others of the same ilk. Because these are the times where you need companionship to bolster yourself through the times ahead. We are going to go through incredible times. We can see the preparations being made for them and have, they have been made for them for quite a few years. They know there's bad times ahead at the top as they hold, try and hold on to this and train us like animals, but more harshly than before. They know there's going to be sporadic outbreaks. They know there's going to be backlashes, generally uncoordinated and sporadic, but they've been prepared for them for some time to come. They know that they're going to take our energy supplies from us. That's in the Kyoto Conference. We've been trained that all energy, that's electricity, gasoline, propane, all kinds of fuel is to be almost priced out of existence to train you to use less in a world where they're going to issue less. Go into the Agenda 21 Accord from the United Nations go into the Agricultural Department of the United Nations and you will see that eventually all foodstuffs for the entire planet will come through the UN and be distributed across the world. And right in there, in their own little manifesto, they tell you that if your population increases in your little country over there, there'll be no more food for you you must decide what to do about it. This is this lovely socialist system I'm talking about coming into play. It's going to be a world of horror, more so for those who are unprepared for it. And the first preparation is done within your own mind. If the mind succumbs, it doesn't matter what else you buy to protect or help yourself, it's game over. Your greatest tool, your survival tool, is within your mind. And yes, we are up against incredible psychological warfare like never before. Never before have an elite had such an ability to terrify billions of people worldwide by daily announcements on television and so on. And so we have to go prepare our minds. We've got to buttress the minds in preparation for what's to come and the hard times to come and all the crisis 
which will be brought upon us. This is not wishful thinking on my part. I'd never wish this. But I'm only going by what the elite have put out in their own agendas themselves. In the mid-1990s, across Canada, booklets were issued to all the homes. I threw mine out, like most folk did. Put out by the government on what to do in cases of national emergency. Now, the Cold War was over. We weren't going to get instantly nuked every day, suddenly. Nothing was happening in the world elsewhere, yet programs came on television in the mid-90s showing us about all this emergency preparedness network that was set up across the country and obviously had been very quietly over a couple of years and all the command centers and what to do in cases of natural or man-made disasters. I even saw a demonstration of this in 1995 in a little town in Allison, Ontario. I drove into it one day and and there's all the fire engines and the police and some military and all these actors with bandages on and tomato sauce. And I said, what's going on? He said, oh, it's a simulated bombing attack outside Baxter Laboratories and into the main street. And I thought, well, who, who the heck is going to go and blow up a potato town like Allison? And why all of this? We never had this during the Cold War. It was because... The, the, the business plan to take on the Middle East and to change the entire world with it in the process was made long ago. We are living, our whole lives are just part of an ongoing, long-range business plan. And that's why these things come out as they do and make no sense to us. Margaret Thatcher, in her New World Order speech at Massey Hall, in the early 1990s, said that the next major war will be on fundamental religions. It wasn't just the Middle East she was talking about. It was part of the age-old plan to eradicate all religions because now they were becoming troublesome. They'd served the purposes in past ages for control mechanisms, but now there's one little part left in them, you see, where you might obey your deity's rules and not obey the government. So that had to be eliminated. So all fundamental religions had to be destroyed. The New Age would get brought in, as Michael Gorbachev wrote about in his own books. A new religion based on earth worship, where eventually youngsters will voluntarily have themselves sterilized for a few benefits, I'm sure, in the social structure. But they'll think they're doing it for Mother Earth and to save the world. And Bambi. And all the little frogs. And so on. We're in a matrix. There are many levels to the matrix. There are different levels and different times in the matrix down through history, down through time. The breaking free is not just waking up and panicking and buying all the goods to fill up your home in case you get attacked. How much can you carry? 
on a, in a backpack. That's what I tell people. What they have envisaged is vast population on the move. On the move to what they call safer areas. And they have plans drawn up telling you how much you can take with you as you leave your main homes and travel to these little temporary safe areas, which are just the cities themselves. They even have plans on sharing accommodations in emergencies with families that are already renting or paying mortgages. All NATO countries do. They signed it into agreements in the 1970s. You'll be told how much you can take with you. This is the bad news I'm telling you. You can't see the light until you go through the darkness. Those who refuse to go into the darkness will be stuck on the other side in panic because they can't face the harsh realities to come. Going through hell brings you to what you call heaven. And those who are willing to go through it and to help others through it have a good chance of something else emerging at the end of it. But that which will emerge will not be that which you are used to. What you're used to is an artificial system. You're used to it because it's familiar to you. It's all you have been taught. But we have to find a new way, a new way to go, and not the way of the elite, and not the direct opposition of the elite, because they expect direct opposition, as always, in the Hegelian dialectic. Never in history have the general public had the right to vote or even discuss the major parts which make up their society and even their own relationships. They've never had a chance to discuss what life is even all about. They've never had a chance to debate what is the purpose of even an economy. You see, the elite decided long ago that you were there to serve the economy and not the economy to serve you. That's why things are and have been so bad. That's why we live in a class system where the UN is so proud to boast about the gulf between the rich and the poor, something they knew a long time ago when they set up the structure. How can we be a humane society and expect to survive when we will not take care of each other? It cannot be done. If there's no compassion in this world, then humanity is finished anyway, at least that which, which we thought of as humanity in times gone by. These are weighty problems, very weighty problems, and yet everyone should have the right to participate in it. And don't be surprised if that ever happens to find a good bulk of the population who would vote in the very system that's destroying them because it's all they know back in a few moments after these messages. Who could see what it's done to me? 
Alan Watt back again for the last few minutes. Please check into my website, cuttingthroughthematrix.com and alanwattsentientsentinel.eu. Go in and find lots of talks with the histories, many of the books mentioned that I've read over the years on all these topics. And really, in the last conclusion, it's up to you as to where the world is going to go. It doesn't take many people to, to shift the direction. It just takes the right people who have the right will and who know themselves that they cannot go back in time. Who wants to go back to an industrial era with all the factories and the smoke as was happening to China now? They're going through their industrial era and they're going through all of the old problems and diseases caused by industry that we once went through. But where do we want to go? Do we exist simply as economic organisms serving a greater whole or a greater elite, really? Or are we individuals here that should find our purpose for ourselves? And if we did, would others leave you alone? Because the problem in humanity at all strata is that groups tend to want everyone else to be the same. Everyone wants to be one. The New Agers want to be one. They'll get their wish when they get the brain chip because they'll be hooked into the same central computer. But even outside of the chip, most people want everyone to look and be and dress and behave the same way and say all the same things. It's a battle of the collective against the individual in the final analysis. Something that isn't really discussed much on any shows that I've heard. Can people tolerate differences? Can they tolerate the individual? Is there even the will there amongst 20% of them to be individuals? Time will tell. I think we're lucky there are a few individuals coming forward today and popping their heads up above the trenches who have enough care about humankind and the past and all those who have gone before and all those who could still come and they're risking it all perhaps it's time you got involved yourself and find at least one or two other people you can discuss things with that's all you have to do is discuss things with and reason out the meanings for yourselves of the purpose of this life we're, we're living. And remember, everything you take as real and normal is simply because you were born into it and they all exist as such. doesn't mean it's normal. It's what you're used to. We must find a new way very quickly, but we also must point the fingers at these psychopaths at the top and all their lackeys that are so cocksure of pulling the greatest coup off in the planet's history and having their own way. We have to stand up now and be counted and lose the fear for all those to come, their generations to come. We must do it now. From myself, Alan Watt, filling in for Charles Giuliani. It's goodbye for now. I'll be back tomorrow. And may your God or your gods go with you.